0: I also have this other little microphone right here so we can start putting these classes on our website, which we should be able to do starting this week. We'll have last week's recording, if you missed, and we'll have this week's recording up there sometime by the end of this week, and we'll let everybody know how to access all that. So, All right, let me ask a, a more serious question. How do you define love? How do you define love? It's a verb. It's a verb. <laughs> I heard that somewhere today. Yeah? Heard that somewhere today. Heard a good sermon today. Carolina, don't tell Mark that I was being kind to him. Love is a verb. It's also a DC Talk song, right? Anybody remember a DC Talk? There we go. Okay, a few of us. Yeah? Love is a verb. Yes, sir? I would say... I like that. I like that. Uh, Diana, do you have a hand up back there? I was just gonna say that maybe it's how you make the other person feel like action. Right, well it it, it does certainly imply something that you do. Um, Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe a a fair follow-up question would be, okay, what are we talking about? Are we talking about food, right? Because those Grand Tocinos from Laredo Taco Company, I love those, yeah. (laughs) Um, are, Are we talking about pets? Are we talking about people? That's a fair question. But I've heard, I've heard several people indicate that it does have some action component to it, right? Does it have to have a feeling? So, a few people nod their heads, no. Uh, yes, ma'am. I would say that like, sometimes you feel like a but even the times that you don't feel it, you still have to choose to love that. Way. Right, yeah. Yeah. I definitely love my kids, but I don't love it when they're potty training and pee on me. Which happened yesterday. <laughs> We're potty training at our house. Um, we almost got a communion devotional this morning on spiritual applications of potty training. <laughs> I decided at the last minute I would probably go a different direction. But <laughs> right. but we have, uh, yeah, uh, Samuel is, uh, is potty training. And so um, if you see us in the hallway, you know, tell us, hey, you can hang, hang in there. You're doing it. You can make it. Yeah, it, we, I don't just feel this overwhelming sense of warmth and affection for him when he's wet the third pair of underwear in an hour. You're right. But it doesn't, definitely has, uh, have, has an action component to it. Um, about 10 years ago, a group of uh, psychologists asked a selection of 4-year-olds to 8-year-olds to describe love. And this has been going around for a little bit, so if you've heard some of these before, don't spoil them. But they asked these four to eight-year-olds, what does love mean? Some of these are really good. Um, an eight-year-old girl said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's a, 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 another girl, age four, says, love is what makes you smile When you're tired, yeah. I like this one, too. Danny, age seven. I I don't know if Danny is totally accurate with this, but he says, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. (laughs) Buddy, I think mommy might also just want a little sip of coffee. Yeah. This this one's actually really funny. Emily, age eight, said, love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk more. Mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that sometimes love is not pretty. <laughs> yeah, this, this one, Bobby, age seven, this one a- a- actually kind of made me sit and think, it's like, oh, yeah, I've actually experienced this before. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. That's pretty deep. Yeah, way to go, Bobby. That guy's going places. <laughs> um this this one i I don't this is one of those where you almost think surely a child didn't come up with this but if it's this a child actually came up with this it's deeply profound if you want to learn to love better this is nikki age six if you want to learn to love better you should start with a friend who you hate wow interesting to think about this you specified a friend start with your frenemies right uh, this one is good. Noel, age seven. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> Noel, get ready. Love can lead us to questionable hygiene habits, too. Um, here's, a, here's a good one. This, I, I really like this one because this, this is true at our house. Uh, Elaine, age five. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. <laughs> Uh, this one also, you can tell how old Chris's parents are. Chris, age seven. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. <laughs> All right. uh, this one is pretty funny because uh, it's uh, actually from Mark, age six. So I don't know if it's uh, Mark Adams, son of Steve Adams, but dear. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> and we'll end with this one jessica age eight you really shouldn't say i love you unless you mean it but if you mean it you should say it a lot people forget wow pretty profound okay so our question earlier how do you define love what is love i think one way to define love between people right not food or pets But between people, whether it's spouses or children and parents or friends, even love in the sense that you you love your coworkers, at at least that you can, you're in a sort of a, a, a good relationship with them. One way to define love between people is to see it as a quality of relationship, a quality of relationship. The quality of relationship that generates mutual good as God defines good, right? Quality of relationship that generates mutual good between the parties involved. It generates God honoring good between all the parties involved. And so the examples that I just read, like you know, giving somebody the best piece of chicken, uh, you know, complimenting somebody, uh, you know, kissing, you know, making coffee, you know, painting toenails. These examples that I just read frequently depicted loving actions or words, right? Loving actions or words in the context of some kind of relationship. And the result of those words or actions was good at the very least for the recipient, if not also for the giver. And so love is this quality of relationship that generates mutual God-honoring good with all the parties involved. I think we can see this in Scripture, too, when we look at a particular section from John's Gospel. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to John chapter 15. Turn over to John chapter 15. We'll work through a few of these verses for just a little bit. Right, so with only a few interruptions, John chapters 13 through 17 are really kind of a monologue from Jesus about his mission to reveal and glorify God the Father, and also the importance of remaining in him, and how he will eventually send the Holy Spirit. And so some favorite verses in this section, I mean, we all, we've all heard Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that's from this Big section of John chapters 13 through 17. Now let's take a look at John chapter 15. I'll read for us the, um, the first 17 verses. This is, this is a big section here, but I, there's a lot to dig in. And it, it and all kind of, you know, weaves its way in towards this notion that love is a relationship that generates mutual good. Mutual God-honoring good. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my Father's the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing." Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No, No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Right, take a look at verse 9. I wanted you to have the context of what's going on here. Take a look again at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, or remain, colloquially, camp out, set up shop in my love. If we want to know what God's love for us looks like, then we only need to look to Jesus. That's not a shocker for most of us who grew up going to church, okay? If we want to know what God's love for us looks like, then we only need to look to Jesus. But honestly, this is is especially helpful for those of us who maybe have struggled in the past or are currently struggling with how to relate to God. I was talking with uh, with David earlier about a, a potential class offering for later in the year, and this relates to apologetics. Opponents of Christianity tend to portray God as this angry tyrant ready to smite his enemies. Okay, remembering that line from Zebrus Almighty? Smite me, O mighty smiter. That's, that's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. That's the stereotypical perception of, of people like that. God wouldn't just smite his own enemies, but even his own people at a moment's notice. And, and honestly, some Christians have wrestled with this as well. What do you do with the violence in the Old Testament? But if we take Jesus at his word here, we see that that God really intends his discipline to cause or effect, to generate our growth. Take a look at 15, verse 2. Take a look at verse 2 there. Okay? He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes... That it may bear more fruit in uh, in verse 2 here this Greek word for prune is usually translated elsewhere cleanse when we cleanse something right we don't throw it away we take the time and sometimes the pain right to improve it or restore it do we have anybody in here who is Good at restoring old cars. Joe, there we go. (laughs) Restoring old cars. Or whatever it is. You understand that. Do we have anybody in here who works on improving the body? Okay. Got PTs, chiropractors, other folks. All right. Sometimes it takes pain to improve and restore the body. Let's get back down to verses 10 and 12. Look at this. The result of keeping God's commands is love. And actually, the command itself is love, right? And so it's interesting that the way Jesus presents God's commandments in these verses, they're, they're rooted in love. It's not just rule-keeping, right? God's, God's commandments are about a quality of relationship. So when Lennie and I got married back in 2012, we didn't agree to a set of rules, Right? We didn't have our friend Luke sit there. Mark and Carolina were there. We, we didn't have our friend sit there with a list. It's like, okay, here's everything that you're, there we go. Here's everything that you're, that you're going to be expected to do, and here's everything that you're going to be expected to do, and we'll just check off all these boxes and say, yes, 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 I do. We agreed to a quality of relationship that we described as love, right? Still, for us to remain in this quality of relationship, there was and there still is an absolute necessity of near-perfect agreement on the expectations. And I specify near-perfect because, right, there's like infinite variations of like, how often do you take out the trash? Who does the dishes? Okay, like we, we, could, we could discuss those kinds of things. But even though we love each other and there, but there's, there's not a set of rules, there still is an expectation of behavior, right? So last week, when we were talking about the Ten Commandments, kind of piece, you know, like putting into, into sort of big context what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. When we're thinking about the Ten Commandments, what were the first four commandments about? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Seen a couple of nods and some, yeah. A David? A relationship to God. Our relationship to God. First four commandments, right? It was about relationship, a right Kind of rightly oriented, an honoring relationship, you and God. Okay, what are the next six commandments about? Relationships with, Relationships with people. That's right. The Ten Commandments are not supposed to be conceptualized as a list of rules. Here's the boxes that you need to check to get in. It's about a relationship. A relationship that generates good for all the parties involved. All right. So, let me ask this. Can you think of any significant interpersonal relationship, spouse, parents, children, uh, grandparents, coworkers, anything like that, can you think of any relationship like that that doesn't have some expectation of behavior? Like the most significant interpersonal relationships. There's there's always some expectation of behavior, right? There's always there's always something, even though you characterize it by love, right? There's always some expectation of behavior. Take a look at verses uh, thirteen through fifteen. Verses thirteen through fifteen. Jesus. Jesus highlights this aspect of relationship. He's sitting here talking about commandments, right? But he actually. He clues us in to the real point of the commandments. It's to to lay out what love looks like. In verses 13 through 15, he really highlights this aspect of relationship all the more by describing his disciples as what? They're no longer servants, but friends. 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 I don't know if this is uh, common knowledge, but in uh, in the ancient world, it was a common topic of philosophers, both pagan and Jewish, to talk about friendship. So usually, two people weren't considered friends if they weren't in the same social class. Okay, so two, it, 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 in the U.S. it's tough for us to sometimes visualize social classes because. Uh, technically, we don't have them, but we sort of de facto have some. Have, you have know, wealthy and you know, what we call middle class and so on. Uh, all that aside, in the ancient world, there was very clear distinctions of social class, very clear, sometimes down to what you were allowed to wear out in public, especially, especially in places like Rome, OK? Friends, often people were not considered friends if they weren't part of the same social class. But a mutually beneficial relationship of social unequals was sometimes called a, a patron and client relationship. Patron was a social superior who supported in various ways the socially inferior client who in turn remained loyal to the patron, supported the patron's activities, reputation, stuff like that. And so here's something that, uh, that one of my professors said about friendship that I think is, is Really really rooted here for what we're, what we're wanting to do. It says the main ideals of friendship in ancient literature included loyalty. Remember, Jesus just described his disciples as friends. The main ideals of friendship in ancient literature included loyalty, sometimes to the death. Equality and mutual sharing of all possessions. And... An intimacy in which a friend could share everything in confidence. Jesus just described the disciples as friends. Jesus especially emphasizes this last point in verse 15, where he distinguishes a friend from a servant, a servant who might be loyal but wouldn't share intimate secrets with the master. Jewish writers emphasized friendship with God, sometimes even contrasting it with servanthood. And so the bottom line to all this kind of theoretical background for the nuts and bolts of what we're gonna do here for the last few minutes is this. If we claim to love someone, whether it's a spouse, parent, child, anybody, there is an expectation of behavior that brings about what is truly good for them and for me, for them and for ourselves. And so that brings us to this book that we've been talking about, Five Love Languages. How many of you uh, have, uh, were able to get this book or had a copy? All right, several of you have. Um, I checked on Amazon last week Uh, The paperback version is only like seven or eight dollars. You can probably find a Kindle version or you can get it on the audiobook, things like that. Recommend it. It's not required for the class, but I do recommend Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. If you just go to Amazon or wherever and type in Five Love Languages, it'll come up. Uh, This edition here, I think it's 2015. I don't think there's a lot of difference between this version and, and older versions. And so if you see one that has the same title but a different cover, don't sweat it, especially if it's cheaper. Surely there are like five or six of these at half price books ready to go. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. But he opens up with this illustration of uh, something called a love tank. A love tank. That sounds kind of silly. It might seem a little simplistic, but I think it's actually pretty useful for us to conceptualize our need for emotional love like a tank, okay? Now, if you had to guess how often... Do you think about your need for love versus someone else's need for love? So if you had to guess, how often do you think about your need for love versus how often you think about somebody else's need for love? Would you say 50-50? Maybe not? If you had to put a ratio to it, what would you say? 90-10. 90-10, okay, that's an honest answer, yeah, 90-10. Oh, 90 for someone else. Oh, I understood. Okay. All right. And I make sure me before I start about my own. Yeah, okay. All right. It probably shows more about me because I assumed you meant 90 for yourself, <laughs> which I think, I think that might actually be, be what I would think. I, honestly, I, I think it's probably imbalanced. And mo- I was asking if it's 50-50, and most of us are saying probably not. Why, why would it be imbalanced? What do you think? What would lead us to to think that? Needs shift and vary with time. Sure. Yeah. People grow. They change. Equilibrium like a seesaw. Situations. Yeah. Situations uh, kind of shift. Yeah. I would think if you're feeling very loved and your needs are being met, you probably don't think about them as much. Yeah. But if they're not, you probably think about them more often. Yeah. Yeah. That is why you are my favorite Bible student. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah I'm totally honest about it, yep, all right, so let me ask you this what might be so if you've got this love tank right where where you are you are feeling loved, okay, like whatever it is that you can point to and say, yeah, this these things, these words, whatever i'm feeling I'm feeling loved and appreciated, all right, whatever that is, what might be some indicators that you think that maybe somebody's Tank is getting a little empty. Somebody else's, or maybe your own. Short temper. Short temper? Yeah. Sure. Inpatience. Impatience? Yeah. What do you think? Isolation. Isolation. hmm. Yeah. Inability to, sleep. Inability to sleep. Wow. Man, yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I had a couple of things here. Uh, critical about seemingly small things. Anybody, does that sound like anybody you know? Maybe yourself? Seeing some, some spouses give each other little nods and winks. <laughs> um, what about this? Avoiding eye contact or physical touch? Just leave me alone. It's kind of a type of isolation, yeah? The silent treatment. Anybody get or receive the silent treatment? You can, you can remain silent on that here. Yeah. The very first love language that Gary Chapman uh, mentions, that clock is three minutes fast, by the way. So I've got you for what looks like eight minutes. Uh, all right. The first language that is really helpful for us to learn, to show other people love, or for us to know that we have received love is what what Gary Chapman calls words of affirmation. He's got this great illustration, it starts around chapter 3. He's got this great illustration about the power of appreciative words. So Gary Chapman, he's been a marriage and family therapist for a while. Lady comes into his office. She is angry. She has been after her husband for 9 months to paint the bedroom. She says, we just won't get it done. She keeps asking, hey, when are you going to paint the bedroom? Anytime. Anytime she, is, uh, she needs him to do something and he hadn't painted the bedroom yet, she comes in and, and says, hey, when are you going to do this? You know, hey, why are you doing this other thing that you don't need to do right now? What is the deal with the bedroom? Okay. She got nowhere. So Gary's suggests, Gary Chapman suggests, try this compliment him for the things that he does well, okay? Just try it. And her immediate response is, I don't see how that's going to get the bedroom painted. It's like, okay, just trust me, all right. All right, just trust me. When he does something that you genuinely appreciate, express that to him, okay? She starts complimenting him for other things. It's something simple as, hey, I appreciate you taking out the trash. I know it's kind of stinky. Hey, I appreciate you putting up the dishes. It's not always fun. That means a lot. Little things like that. It took me all of three seconds to say that. She starts complimenting him for other things. Three weeks later, bedroom is painted. After waiting nine months. Okay? What do you think this husband needed in order to feel loved? Oh, <laughs> Besides a break. <laughs> He needed those words of affirmation. Yeah. And maybe, maybe he needed his wife to cool it with <laughs> mentioning the bedroom, mentioning painting the bedroom for a second. Sure. He said, I love this quote from him, verbal compliments are far greater motivators than nagging words. Sure. And then he follows up by this, though. The object of love is not getting something you want, but doing something for the well-being of the one you love. Okay? He wants to emphasize here in this illustration, his wife, this wife, was not just manipulating her husband. She was genuinely expressing her love and appreciation for all these other things while temporarily cooling it with painting the bedroom. She was genuinely expressing love with all these other things. And then the husband realized, okay, all right, I got time to paint the bedroom. Let's do this, okay. Appreciative words kind of fall under this big umbrella of words of affirmation. Another thing that you could add to is this, encouraging words. Now I heard a a wise man say that we probably never get tired of being encouraged, right? Appreciate your sermon, Mark. (laughs) What kind of encouragement would you want to hear from someone, your spouse or someone else? Think about that for a second. Reflect on that for just a second. What kind of encouragement would you want to hear from someone else? While you're thinking, I'll share. And we'll do this a lot in here, where I'll ask a question, I'll open up with an answer that gives you time to think of one that you want to share, maybe. I actually, I'm going to be transparent with y'all, I actually like to hear that I'm a good teacher because being a competent and even an inspirational teacher is important to me. I, I I believe that God has given me these gifts because God... And his wisdom, for whatever reason, gave me these gifts. It's, it's very much an important part of my identity to be seen as a good teacher. And so I love it when like, I, I genuinely feel loved. Let me put it that way, kind of put in the context of what we're doing here. I genuinely feel loved when Linnea says to me, Kevin, I've seen you teach ever since we got married. You're getting really good. I really like how you did this. Mark gave me a little compliment after my uh, community devotional today. I gave him one right back on his uh, sermon. I was hoping you'd paint my office. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you need to start complimenting Stacy on that, Stacy Blair on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mark, you've been after me for that for all of 30 seconds now. But no, it's like, it's important, right? It's important to encourage each other in ways that speak to our vulnerabilities, and especially in ways that align with each other's interest, rather than encouraging them toward what you want so you can get what you want out of them, Mark. I'm not going to paint your office. (laughs) That is important to compliment somebody in a way, to encourage them in a way that that genuinely encourages them, even if you personally get nothing out of them. Uh, Chapman says here on uh, page 42 of my version, my, uh, my edition, Encouragement requires empathy and seeing the world from your spouse's perspective. Now, clearly that's applicable beyond a marriage relationship, right? Parent to child... Child to parent, co-workers, whatever. A couple of different things that we can uh, mention here as we kind of close with this. Kind words also fall under this umbrella. Kind words with those closest to us. They can still express sadness or disapproval or frustration, right? Like Samuel, yesterday uh, or two days ago, when we first started potty training, he he just wasn't getting it, and I was sitting there on the tile floor in the bathroom, frustrated. I was like, "Buddy, why can't why can't you just get do that here, not over there on the rug?" But that wasn't going to be like that wasn't going to be helpful, right? <laughs> He's two. That wasn't going to be helpful. Instead, I was like, "Hey, buddy." I know it's tough, but you can learn how to do this. You can learn how to do this here. This is where you need to do this, okay? Especially with Pete, who is uh, four and a half. He's, um, man, he's, a, he's a great kid, but he is, he is sometimes, if I get onto him about something and don't do it in a way that is respectful, he shuts down. I was getting onto him uh, this weekend. He was playing with curtain rods. So we're hanging up curtains in the rooms. And he kept playing with him. I was like, stop. Just stop. How many times have I told you? Please. I just quit. Get out of here. Leave the room. And he just, body language. He was done. Kind of sulked out of the room. It's like, rats, okay. I, know I wouldn't need to hear it that way from my dad. So all right. I went over there. Sat down with him, held him. was like, buddy, I'm sorry. I don't need you to play with those. You've got to listen to me. But I didn't need to get on to you that way. I'm sorry. So we can choose, still within this umbrella of words of affirmation. We can still be kind, even when we need to express sadness, frustration, or disapproval with our kids, with our spouses. Hey, would you be willing to fill in the blank instead of, sweet mercy, why haven't you done <laughs> X, Y, and Z? Okay. And the last thing I want to mention is this. There's real value in indirect words of affirmation. Have you ever heard from a second-hand source that someone said something nice about you? Okay. Have you ever heard from a second-hand source that someone said something nice about you? All right. How did that make you feel? Mark, how did it feel when these folks up in Maine was like, Hey, they're really excited to have you down there in Corpus Christi. Pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. How we talk about our spouse or or loved ones or children or co-workers, how we talk about them when they're not with us to other people is often a really good indication of how we genuinely feel about them, right? Maybe we're just venting, sure, we all do that, but I, I, I often tell other people that our boys, they get all their best qualities from their mom. I exaggerate a little bit, if you've seen Samuel, that kid is, uh, man, he is a chip off of the burr block, especially with that husky little double chin that he's got. <laughs> Samuel looks exactly like me when I was a little kid. But as far as their you know, intelligence and wit and athleticism and stuff like that, I, I, like to, you know, I like to take an opportunity to compliment them by also complimenting Linnea, okay? Now, yes, I exaggerate. I don't think that I am a total idiot, <laughs> but I do want to praise Linnea in front of others because I genuinely think she's awesome, okay? It's meaningful to openly praise for those of us who are married. It's meaningful for us to openly praise our spouse. If you're not married, it's meaningful to openly praise your friends in front of others, with them present or with them absent, okay? Okay? whether you share an award or an honor or something like that, compliment them. Give them those words of affirmation. So we're at our time and I want uh, want you to take this question home with you for your spouse or a loved one. I want you to think about this. What would you most like to hear them say to you? What would you most like to hear them say to you? Flip side to that is, what do you think they would most like to hear you say to them? Okay? What would you want to hear them say to you? What do you think they would most like to hear you say to them? All right. Next week, we'll get back to, uh, you know, we'll jump back into um, quality time. That's the, uh, that's the love language that we're dealing with next week. And um, as we keep going through these, we'll, uh, we won't always uh, have the room set up like this. We'll have some opportunities for tables and some smaller group discussions and things like that. I think it'll be pretty neat. But I want to leave you with those two questions. What would you most like to hear? Well do you think that they would most like to hear from you? Guys, appreciate y'all. Y'all dismiss.